Well, good evening, everyone. It is so good to have you join with us tonight, be a part of our Sunday evening study. And tonight we come to the close of Luke chapter 6 as we've been looking at the Sermon on the Plain. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, if you want to be turning there in your Bible. And as you are, just a a few quick announcements, the first of which is very sad to make, but as many of you are aware, Miss Louise Green, one of our members, uh, passed away on Saturday. And so, uh, or on Friday, actually. And, and so we are uh, going to be having her memorial service on Wednesday. So you all be in prayer for that because it, of course, because of COVID-19, is going to be a very, um, a very small service, uh, limited on the number of folks that can be there. But please be in prayer for the Green family and the loss of Miss Louise. Also, as I said this morning, we're going to be talking about and have got a team pulled together on what it's going to look like when we reopen church. We are looking forward to that day where we can be once again gathered together here at Mint Hill Baptist Church, although that's going to look different, and it's going to look different for a time. We recognize that, that uh, because of this disease, until there's a vaccine, we're going to have to do things a little bit differently, but we're looking forward to presenting to you that plan on how we are going to come back together as a church body. Unfortunately, uh, it is going to be at least another uh, anywhere from four to five weeks before we can, just based on uh, the governor's uh, restrictions on when we can open back up as a church. But when we do open back up as a church, one of the things that we have seen from other states is that there's a potential that the time that we meet together has to be limited. So that burden falls squarely on me to limit my time. And as you guys have known me uh, for this uh, more than a year, that's, that's a hard task for me. So each week trying to lead up to that time where we come back together, I'm going to try to practice being a little bit briefer as we go through our times. So I'll even try and attempt tonight, and we'll see how well I do. But I really do appreciate you being a part of our Sunday evening worship tonight. So, as I've said, if you have found Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49, and you are able, even at home, please stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. It says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my words, and acts on them. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. When the flood came, the river crashed against that house and couldn't shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. Let's pray. Oh, gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity to once again be bathed in your word and be able to study what you have told us. And Father, now I pray, I pray, that we would not only hear the words of your Son spoken to us, but, Father, that we would act upon them. Lord, that we would be upside down. And, Lord, have the upside-down love ethic of your Son. 
and love our enemies and serve them and do good to them. Father, change our very thinking. Change our hearts. Clean us. And Father, I pray that you would stir us to not be lazy in our faith, but Father, to be active in it. And Lord, now I pray that you would speak and move me out of the way. Father, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, I pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, if you have uh, been joining with us on Sunday nights over the past few months, you know that I have brought up uh, the story of Asher Sheets, uh, a, a infant, baby, who uh, died after, very soon after birth. And the story of Asher's mom and dad, Jordan and Robbie. And it's a horrible and tragic story, but they, Jordan and Robbie are believers and serve at their local church. And as she was pregnant with Asher, they recognized uh, early on that Asher may have some birth abnormalities that were affecting him. And so when it was time for Asher to be due and to be, for Jordan to give birth, they flew to California to do so so they could be around surgeons that could attend to them. But as you were aware, uh, if you've been following their story, Asher did not live very long and passed away within the same, I believe it was the same day overnight. Uh, and um, it's just a tragic, tragic story. No, I think he last, he, he for about a few days. Regardless, it was a tragic story, and many thousands of us followed along. But I think what was amazing about that, as we were all following Asher's story, was the faith of Jordan and Robbie. Throughout this entire process, even though their hearts ached for Asher, and even though they would trade anything to have Asher, they recognized throughout the entire process God's sovereignty. And then they were both very frank and vulnerable with all of us to say, this is how my heart aches, and yet even in this pain, God is still good. And for many of us, losing a child like that would destroy us. But for them, their faith grew. That doesn't mean the pain wasn't there. It doesn't mean that the hurt is not there. It doesn't mean that the grief is not there. But what it means is that their faith held fast in the greatest storm of their young lives. And so we have to ask, why? Why did the faith of Jordan and Robbie Sheets stay firm in the midst of this horrible, awful tragedy. And of course, we know the answer to that is that their faith was strong in God, and their faith was strong in his word, and they practiced what they believed. And even in the midst of fear and worry and doubt and anxiety, they cast it before God, knowing that he was the only one that could help them. I know even my best friend had the same situation with his son. He and his wife faced the same situation, and they have held fast to God as their rock and redeemer. So 
how is it that we can survive the worst that this world can throw at us? How do we build a house that is storm-proof? So that's what I want to focus on tonight is building a house that is storm-proof, and we've seen it in the text. The only house that can survive the flood is a house that is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And so, of course, as we have come to these few verses at the end of the Sermon on the Plain, it is fitting that Jesus would speak these to us. Because he is saying to us, everything that I have just presented to you that seems upside down in the world's ethic is the right side up and the way we love inside the kingdom of God. Now then, you've heard me speak it. Act upon it. Act upon it. And this section of Scripture, as he has ended this sermon mirrors my favorite verse, James 1, 22, that says, Be hearers of the word and not, uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only, so as to deceive yourselves. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. And that's what Jesus is saying is we need to not just hear, we need to act. And so as I look at the the text tonight, there's two things I see out of it. When we're looking at how to build a storm-proof house, the first thing that we need to see in this is that we need to build as a wise builder. We need to be a wise builder as we build the house. Well, a few things I see when it comes to a wise builder or what Jesus tells us what a wise builder is, is the first thing is, is that a wise builder acts on what he, he hears. He acts on what he hears. Look at verse 47. I will show you what someone is like who comes to me, hears my word, and acts on them. He is like a man who built a house on a firm foundation. He starts this out by saying, I will show you the example of someone who is wise in the house that they build, and how are they wise? They not only hear what I am saying, they then do something with it. They act upon it. And he is simply saying to us that in our lives as Christians, we need not only to hear what God says, but we need to apply it to our very lives. It does not just need to be sound waves that enter into our inner ear and then sit in our our heads and then nothing comes from it. He says, no, hear what I'm saying. Let it penetrate your very heart and then act upon what you have heard. We are to be action Christians. We are not to be stagnant Christians. And, and certainly even inside of being uh, Baptist in our denomination, we, we sometimes look at the term work as a sinful thing. And we recognize the reason why is because it's very clear that as far as the law is concerned, you can do nothing work-wise. You can bring nothing to Jesus that will earn you salvation. Every work that you do is like a filthy rag before God. And yet upon salvation, upon belief in Jesus, we see very clearly throughout not only what Jesus says and not only what James says, but Paul as well when he says that God has created for you good works 
set aside since the beginning of time. So good works is something that we as Christians are to be doing as we move forward. We must apply what we've heard. And let me give you an example of this. There was a uh, Korean man who had met a missionary many years ago and become a Christian after meeting this missionary as this missionary preached the gospel to him. And so many years later, this Korean man traveled a great distance to find this preacher, this missionary that had led him to Christ because he wanted to share with him. He said, uh, Pastor, I want to share with you verses that I have memorized from God's Word. And, of course, the missionary said, of course, my brother, please, by all means. And, then, and here this, this Korean man began to flawlessly and without any sort of error uh, recite the entire Sermon on the Mount to this missionary. And the missionary said to the Korean man, he said, this is beautiful and this is wonderful, but I caution you, don't let it just be words that you say. And the Korean man in response said, oh, pastor, I have. I've applied these words in my life. This is how I memorized them. I tried so often to learn these words and to memorize them, but they would not stay in my head, so I came up with a plan. I would read the words of Jesus, and then I would go and do what he said, line by line. And he said, and every time I went out and I would do for my neighbor what Jesus told me to do, I could remember what the command was. I found that I could memorize it much easier then. And so the same for us. These are just words until they become actions for us. So a wise builder acts on what he hears, but a wise builder also recognizes the importance of building on a strong foundation. See, every house must have a strong foundation because the foundation sets the tone of the house. It sets the angles, literally, for the house and how strong and durable that house will be. But I, I think what's Interesting on this is that if you look at the scripture here, it says, he is like a man building a house who dug deep and he laid his foundation on the rock. So it's not only a foundation to this house, but notice that he has put the foundation on a foundation. He has found a rock on which to build his foundation before he ever builds the house. So there's a dual foundation here and a strength that is in that foundation. See, a weak house built on a weak foundation will break. Just like a prime example we can think of today, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. It was built on swampland, and it, it continues to lean even to this day, and there's been monumental uh, engineering to try to keep the tower from falling over because the foundation on which it was built was not strong enough to hold it, and so it sinks. But of course, we know from Scripture, when it comes to the rock that we build our foundation on, that is Jesus Christ. Paul says so in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 and 11. He says, according to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful on how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus 
Christ. Jesus is the rock of our foundation, and so we must build on him and him alone. Any other foundation we lay is a foundation that is not Jesus, and it will crumble and it will fail. If you continue in 1 Corinthians, it speaks on how do you build on that foundation. Do you build with gold and silver and hay and straw? He says, it will all be put to the flame. And only that which is built in Jesus will remain. All the rest will be burned up. So we must build uh, our foundation on Jesus. Well, what else? We see that a wise builder labors to build off the rock. And that's so important. The wise builder labors to build off the rock. Notice in 48, it says this. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. The implication from this is very clear. It is not easy to lay this foundation. It is labor-intensive. It takes dedication and discipline. You have to work hard. See, you can build a house, as we're going to see in just a moment, anywhere you want to. But to build it on the only thing that will last, Jesus Christ, means that you must build on the rock. And in order to do that, you have to dig down and dig deep. And see, that digging down, that that gives the impression there of, of a lot of labor, It was not easy to break ground in that time and to to get down to the bedrock. How deep must you dig to find that rock to lay your foundation? See, and I think it's very clear what Jesus is saying is this is how you love and this is how you follow me and this is what you are to do. And what he is asking is not easy in the current of this world. It is not easy in culture to follow after and chase after what Jesus has told us to do. It will bring us pain. And it's going to take us discipline to do it. But Jesus says the reward is a strong, stormproof house. It's a house that will stand. So we see that if we want a stormproof house, We have to build like a wise builder. Second thing I see in the text today is that we are not to be a lazy builder. Don't be a lazy builder. And he gives us an example of of, uh, what a a lazy builder is. First thing we see in this is that a lazy builder does not even bother with the foundation. Does not even bother with the foundation. Look at verse 49. Verse 49. But the one who hears and does not act is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. So not only did this man not dig down behind the bedrock, he didn't even bother laying down a foundation. He just started building the house. He started cutting corners with his house because it was easier to do. See, effectively, he's building is a tent. It's easier to just build that house. And I don't know if you've seen some of the things, uh, you know, as we are in our quarantine, uh, having our new quarantine live, Facebook memes are all the rage. 
Now, I've been looking through some of them, and of course, as people are beginning to working on their house and they're starting to look at different things, there's one picture of a guy who is up on top of his roof, and he's wanting to replace the vent fan on his roof. And as he peels up the current fan or the current vent that's there, underneath it was the rest of the roof. There was no hole. The builder cut corners and just put the thing on top of the roof and never bothered to cut a hole for the exhaust vent to even exhaust. And he did not know it until he got up in his roof and decided he wanted to make a repair and sees that the builder cut the cost and the house has been improperly venting this entire time. See, when you cut costs, you cause damage. But the reason why any of us cut costs is because it's hard work to build correctly. So the implication of what Jesus is saying here is very, very clear. Acting on Jesus' words is the foundation for your spiritual house. Not just hearing, but then hearing and doing is the very foundation of the house. I'm going to take a quick break because I think my mic is dying. So I'm going to switch over to another mic here. We're going to try this one right here. Ted is uh, the white mic. Thank you guys for bearing with me. There we go. All right, I'm going to take this one off. So the other one was kind of dying out. Maybe the batteries were going bad in it. So... But from this, the, the implication, as I was just saying, is very clear on the foundation. Jesus is saying the very foundation that we build on, if he is the rock, then the foundation of our house is the hearing and the doing of his word. That's what makes the house strong. And that in verse 49, he's saying very plainly this, is that the lazy builder will not even lay a foundation. He will just build his house on the sand, put it anywhere he wants to. He does not want to dig. And see, Jesus says, in following him, hearing is not enough. There has to be action. So the lazy builder also, the second thing I see with the lazy builder is this, is that the lazy builder thinks his house is just fine. He thinks his house is just fine. This comes from verse 46 that starts this section where it says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do the things that I say? See, that term Lord, Lord was a term of absolute devotion to the one with whom they are saying Lord, Lord. is say, Lord, you are my Lord above all. And he's saying, why do you say that to me? And then don't do the things I tell you to do. You don't act on my words. See, that phrase, Lord, Lord, rings hollow when Jesus isn't actually your Lord. And see, we hear this term, Lord, Lord, used most often in a negative way with Jesus. And in fact, the scripture that mirrors what we're looking at in Luke, Matthew 7, 721 and following, is an example of that. He says that you come to me and you say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things in your name? He says, away from me, I knew you not because you didn't actually do it. If you heard my words and then did it, I would know you. But you did not follow after me. You did not act on it. 
See, what's happening in this situation is the lazy builder is trying to prove that his house is up to par. And see, the danger of the lazy builder is this, is that anyone looking at the two houses might see that the houses look identical. They may be built in the exact same way. They may have the nice shingles and nice shutters and a beautiful door and everything is built very nicely as you look at it from the outside. But what you cannot see until you get inside and get into the bones of the house is that one of them has a foundation and the other one does not. And see, that proving comes at the worst time. Because you could go through your life and say, the house looks fine. But when the storm comes, the storm is going to prove the quality of the house. See, we even just last night, many of us were watching the news eagerly as three supercells were coming through our area and there were threats of tornadoes and we were getting the warnings constantly to say, move into the center of your house and find shelter because that's the, the strongest area of the house. And uh, fortunately, we were I, at our house. We were watching Brad Pinovich. Uh, shout out to him, as he was live streaming the entire event, and it turned out to not be as bad as it was initially thought. But the problem is, is you don't want to test how strong your house is in a storm, because it's designed to protect you from the storm. But if the storm comes and it destroys your house, how strong was your house? And see, he finishes this by saying in verse forty-nine to the one who thinks his house is up to par. He says the testing comes when the storm comes. In Matthew 7, again, it, it, it embellishes it a little bit more as Jesus speaks about this. He says the storm starts coming in and the rain begins to fall and the river begins to reach its flood stage and then it comes against the house. He says the house is destroyed immediately. Same here. The river crashed against it, and immediately it collapsed. And the destruction of that house was great. See, when the storm comes in the life of one who has only heard the voice of Jesus and has never done anything more with it, that ruin is great. And that ruin is great for two reasons. James teaches us in 122, he says, The ruin is great because the one who hears and doesn't act is one who is self-deceived. They think their house is strong, but in reality, it is crushed. When the first ill wind blows, when the first tragedy strikes, the house does not stand. It collapses. So the ruin is great because there is self-deception. Uh, the second thing is this. The ruin is great because the destruction may be complete. Notice he says here, the river crashed against and immediately collapsed, and the destruction of that house was great. The destruction is immediate, and it could be permanent. I've known of many who have been in the church for all their lives, and the first time something happens that comes against them, one great trial, and they shake their fist at God and say, you don't care about me. It's the same when we look at the parable of the soils. It says that of the first, uh, the second and the third soil, that it grows up quickly, but 
The roots can't go deep. And when trials come, that plant dies because it doesn't have any roots. And he's saying the same thing here. When the trial comes, when the river rises, when the storm beats against the house, if there is no foundation built on me, if it is only just lip service that has been paid, then the house will collapse. And not only will it collapse, there will be anger against God for the fact that it collapsed, even though the builder did not build on the foundation of Jesus. So it may be a complete destruction because there may not have been faith there to begin with. It was just listening. It did not have any action behind it. So it's clear for us tonight what's being said by Jesus here. We cannot just listen to him. We cannot just be around him and hear what he has to say and then don't do anything with it. We must, must put application in our lives. And that application often means doing. The good works that God has laid out for us from the beginning of time. Action, to actually love our neighbors, to actually love our enemies, to actually lay down our life for others, to put in the hard work, to humble ourselves and to think of others first, to watch our tongue and what we say, to give until we can give no more. These are the actions that Christ calls us to. And if we're not careful, we will say, I love everything Jesus says. But then we will do very little of it. And Jesus says, you can't say you love me if you don't do what I ask you to do. You're just flattering me. You don't actually love me and you don't know me because you're not going where I go. And so, oh, Christian, he is calling us to a severe task to do what he says. Why? Because if we love as Jesus loved, if we act as Jesus acts, if we walk as Jesus walked, then what will happen from there is the great love ethic of the kingdom of God will spread out into our homes. It will spread out into our community. It will spread out to what we speak online and how we act. And others, as I was saying this morning, sinners will finally hear the word of God and see in your actions what Jesus does for them and they may repent and believe and they too can begin a journey of discipleship of loving in ways that they couldn't have imagined before friends we cannot be like passengers who sit on an airplane and right at the very beginning before we even take off when they come out and they present all the safety features of the plane and they put on that video and the, uh, and, and the flight attendants show you how to buckle your safety belt, you may have heard it a thousand times. Tune it out completely. 
But then what happens if a plane crashes? You may have heard it a thousand times, but in that moment, you're not going to have any idea what to do. Jesus says, no, pay attention. Don't tune it all out. Don't sit in the pew, sit at home, and have heard my words a thousand times, and then do nothing with it. Act upon it. Why? Because our very, the house of our faith is at risk if we do not build on the foundation, on the rock of Jesus Christ. So in closing, I'm going to do something I rarely have ever do. I'm going to try to sing a hymn that I think is applicable in this time. So you all bear with me as I sing, but you all know this. The hymn is this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We need to build on the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for watching along with us tonight. I'm going to pray, and then we will be dismissed. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you again for the opportunity to, to gather. And Lord, I pray that we would act upon your word. Oh, Father, stir us to greater and greater deeds. Lord, that we would take all that we have heard, and even in the difficulty of it, Lord, we would put it into practice, that it would start in our heart. And Lord, it would pour out from there. And it would be a fountain welling up inside of us that comes from your son. And oh, Lord, that we would dig deep, find the rock of our salvation, and build our house upon that rock so that we would have a house that is stormproof no matter how the wind rages, no matter how the water rises. Oh, Lord, we will not be shaken. Oh, Father, I pray this in the blessed name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Thank you, guys. You are sent.